So when I was younger and still living at home, I used to watch a television show that came out called Twin Peaks. I was completely fascinated by this show. I love the characters, I love the storylines, and of course, looking now back at it, you know, think, what, what did I see in that show? But at the time, I really liked it. And I could even play a few bars of the theme song, and every time I would do that, my friends would stop and turn around and go, ooh, that sounds like the theme song from Twin Peaks. The problem was, my dad hated that show. And this was back in the day when there was usually, at least in my neighborhood, only one TV in everybody's house. Fortunately, there was nothing else on during that time that anybody wanted to watch. So my dad indulged me in letting me watch it. But there was a price. During the whole show, he would make snide comments. I can't believe you're watching this. Oh, this is so insipid. Who would buy that during the whole and then just laugh it off? And of course, that just made me love the show all the more. And I would get angry and say things like, you know, I don't keep interrupting your shows and making stupid comments. And then I would try it. One of his shows would be on and go, this is so boring. I can't believe you watch it. Which is, of course, a huge mistake because he would get mad. And then I would say, well, now you know how I feel, right? We were passionate about a couple of TV shows, as stupid as that was. It was a house divided, just like the gospel today. Father against son and son against father. Too bad it wasn't about anything that meant anything. At the end of time, who will care about the TV war? There may not even be TV at that point. Today, I don't even like the show. I don't remember the shows that my dad loved so much, and now he's gone. So really, who cares? Why did we care so much? But by gosh, it seemed like something at the moment. Was it really worth dividing the family over? But Jesus talks about doing such a thing today in the gospel. Father against son, son against father, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. But when Jesus was talking about divisions, even within the family, he didn't mean that he was here to cause the divisions, but rather the divisions would be the result of what he had to offer. And it is what he had to offer was far more important than television shows. His reasons dealt with love, with ideas of beauty and goodness and truth. It had to do with hope and faith and with one's soul, with identity and where you were going to spend eternity. The baptism about which he spoke today was his passion His life, death, and resurrection. Isn't it interesting that we use the word passion for that? You know, how do we use the word passion today? It's for something that you love, that you just can't get out of your mind. It's the thing that you're always focused on, his passion. And that passion was love of us. He can't wait to go through it because then his great love is going to be unleashed into the world. And the fire that he wants to light up the world with is his charity, his love. And he knew some would accept him, 
Some would accept his message, some would accept his life, and others will not. And that is the cause of division. Today, that division may be an older generation wanting a younger generation to embrace the faith. It's important to us, and I say us because I'm going to be the older generation now, because we have learned how, how well this faith served us over time. And it is part of us. It's not something that we do. It's not something to which we belong like a political party. It is part of who we are, like being male or female. I am Christian, and I am Catholic. So I think of some people in my family. Uh, There was a part of my family that considers themselves pagans, and they had a funeral. And I went to the funeral home. All they were going to have was something at the funeral home, and I showed up. He said, oh, we're so glad you're here. Now we're ready to begin. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're going to lead us. I went, oh, it would have been nice to know. But there was nothing in my bag of tricks for them. I couldn't talk about Jesus. I couldn't talk about eternity. I couldn't talk about forgiveness. I couldn't talk about hope. I couldn't bring out my life. I couldn't bring out anything about the prayers or the structures that I do. I finally got them to agree, please, at least let me say they are Father. So, okay, we can do that. I think a cousin of mine who was a practicing Catholic and wanted to get married but didn't want to get married in the church, and she came here and visited me, and I said, please, let me do something for you. Anything. Let's get, you can do whatever you want. If you want to get married on the beach, that's fine. But bring two witnesses and your fiance and let me marry you here first. Let's go out on the loggia. We'll just do something. It'll take five minutes. That's it. This is your faith. Do this. And it was not important enough to her. I said, Do you understand? I can't come to your wedding because I can't recognize that it's valid for you as a practicing Catholic. My nephews, who I love beyond reason, they're always supportive of me and in the faith. They're always, at everything I do, they, they try to come. When I was ordained, they were there. They really don't have anything to do with the faith. They were, to their credit, never really introduced to it. My oldest nephew, one of my favorite memories of ordination day was, it was just, uh, him and me in the car afterwards coming from the cathedral back to Barberton, Ohio, where we would have the reception. We just unpacked everything that we did and everything that he experienced and how wonderful he thought it was. But they just never caught on to the faith. And when they struggle with things, I don't have this belief system in this history and this this wonderful well from which to draw to say, okay, let's deal with this within our faith. Though we love each other and in many ways are very close, there's this chasm between us. There's the opposite case, too. This past week I went to Connecticut to see a young lady from my last parish take her final vows in the Sisters of Life. You might be familiar with the Sisters of Life. It's a newer order in New York. They wear long white habits with a dark blue scapular and a a blue veil. And uh, 
We went to St. John's Basilica to watch her take her final vows, and I stupidly thought she would be the only one taking her vows. So when anyone asked us, I was there with Father Peter Covacina and a couple seminarians and some other people. I'd say, oh, we're from Cleveland. And I thought everybody would fall all over themselves, thinking, oh, you're here for Sister, Sister Bridget. But as it turns out, there were a whole bunch of nuns taking their, their final vows. So we were just one of amongst a number of people who were there from out of town. But the next day there was a reception on the grounds close by uh, the beautiful old mansion and acres of land and huge white tents and, you know, there were scores and scores of nuns, you know, over a hundred, plus that uh, new order that's in Cleveland, the Christ the Bridegroom Monastery, who was painting our, our icon for us. We're all there. And the mother of Sister Bridget was there. Just glowing, smiling, happy, and proud, proud of her daughter. And I had a little while to talk to her, and I said, Do you remember 10 years ago when your daughter was first going into this order, and you came up to me and you said, I'm not sure I can handle this. I'm not sure I want my daughter to do this. I'm not really great about this whole idea of her going away and doing this. It's not surprising. You talk to anybody who heads up vocations. They say the number one deterrent to vocations is parents. I don't want my son, I don't want my daughter to do this. So over the years, she developed a support group of moms of nuns, M-O-N-S. If her kid was going to be a nun, she was going to be a mon. And she got this together just so that they could cope and come to understand. And they talked about... Uh, because most of the young ladies in their diocese, when they become nuns, most of them leave our diocese. And they would get together and talk about and try to understand the radical decisions that their daughters made until they finally come to this point where they're overjoyed. This is huge. It's huge. I like to see commercials about the Gap or Target or Old Navy, and they say, come, buy our clothes and be unique. Be your own person. Stand out. You know, go to one of our thousands of stores and buy one of our millions of products and be unique by dressing just like everybody else. You know, there are only about a hundred some odd women in the world who are going to dress like Sister Bridget and live the life that she leaves and that are that radically in love. That's being unique. That's being countercultural. It reflects how radically God loves you and wants you to be part of, the, of his passion. It's not about loving the church. The church is an institution. You can respect it. You can abide by it. You can buy into it. But it is a thing. You don't love an it. It's about being radically in love with a person, with Jesus, with your heavenly Father, and with the Spirit that radiates from them. And when you are in love, everything else is subjugated. When you're in love, you do wild, crazy, and in some people's eyes, stupid things. Maybe you go to a weird school to learn about the one that you love, and you promise poverty, chastity, and obedience to this person. You put on unfashionable clothes and become a public figure and a public servant. And your goal is not even in this life. 
save to invite others to join you on this crazy journey, to invite them to contemplate eternal things and to place less importance on TV and computers and money and reputation and conformity and fitting in, and invite them to be wild and countercultural, controversial, and through it to be love for a world that looks for it in all the wrong places and is left with a love that is unsure, unsatisfying, and perhaps temporal. Some are going to cling to that type of love no matter what, but others will join you on your journey to be part of that fire with which Christ desired to light up the world, the fire in which you now participate today and which may cause some division with those who can't accept that love. Another vocation, which we are celebrating today, and I'm very grateful for it because we need this witness now more than other, is the vocation of marriage. And we're very uh, honored to have with us today Mary Alice and her husband Michael, who are going to be celebrating who are celebrating 50 years of this vocation, and I'd like to invite them forward now to receive a blessing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord God and Creator, we bless and praise your name. In the beginning, you made man and woman so that they might enter into a communion of life and love. You likewise blessed the union of Mary Alice and Michael so that they might reflect the union of Christ with his church. Look with kindness on them today. Amid the joys and struggles of their life, you have preserved the union between them. Renew their marriage covenant. Increase your love within them and strengthen their bond of peace so that, surrounded by their family and children, they may always rejoice in the gift of your blessing. We ask this through Christ our Lord. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may now kiss your bride.